I've got a simple word for you, and uh, in many ways it's a life message, but it is a word that I feel compelled uh, to preach here in Las Vegas for as many years as I'm given uh, to come out here and travel. I believe this is a specific word for many people who are brought up within the four walls of the church and for everyone who calls this city home who have never darkened the doorway of a church. So I want you just to hear this word. It's not coming from a mid-40s Asian guy with a receding hairline. It's coming from the heart of a loving father who says to you, I'm really sorry. I think there's been a misunderstanding. I'm really sorry. I think there's been a misunderstanding. Let me pray. Jesus, help. Amen. I live in the South now. For those who don't know my story, I'm married to one beautiful wife, 22 years in. I've got a 15-year-old daughter, 15-year-old son, turned 15 this week, so he'll be driving in a year. I've got a 17-year-old, nearly 17-year-old daughter, so she'll be dating in about 13 years. Um, born and raised in Melbourne, Australia. That's the reason my voice is this way. Uh, mother and father are Malaysian Chinese. That's the reason my face is this way. But three and a half years ago, the Spirit of God led our family to serve as teaching pastors at this amazing church called New Spring in South Carolina. And so I spent a lot of my time being misunderstood. Uh, the vernacular, the slang that I was brought up with, phrases that make sense in Australia that don't make any sense in America. I spent a lot of time preaching to our congregation and seeing them en masse when I just say something that they don't understand, they do this. They turn their heads to the side. Husbands usually whisper to their wives. Their wives start interpreting. <laughs> and that's not a new thing. I've been misunderstood here in America since 2007 when I first visited. Uh, the first time I ever preached here was in Seattle, Washington. And I did this youth camp. And I remember on the opening night just being really, really nervous. I thought I would praise my wor and worship my way out of my nervousness and and, uh, and I was just jumping up and down like you do as a, as a young youth minister. And I jumped up and down so much that I broke my flip-flop. <laughs> Only challenge is, in Australia, a flip-flop is known as a thong. <laughs> and so the very first words that came out of my mouth in my first sermon in the United States of America was a declaration that I was praising God so hard that I broke my thong. <laughs> and everyone starts freaking out. They start giggling. They start murmuring. I had no idea why everyone was responding that way to my declaration that I was praising God so hard that I blew my red thong out. <laughs> my friend, our friend, who's sitting in the front row, he's like, like and, and I had no idea finished my message, got off the stage, and my friend, the first thing he does, he grabs me, gives me a hug. Thank you so much for that word. But can I explain to you that a thong in America is a very different thing than a thong in Australia. So at the beginning of my second message, I started with, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I think there's been a massive misunderstanding. 
what I was trying to say wasn't being heard. What I was trying to convey wasn't being caught. And if I had one word for every single person in the United States of America raised in this post-Christian age, if I had one word for every single person who calls Las Vegas home, whether you're that one in 10 people who are actually brought up around here or the nine out of 10 people who found themselves here, I would look at you fair and square in the eye and on behalf of God say to you, I'm really sorry. I think there's been a massive misunderstanding. God is not an angry guy in the sky with a lightning bolt in his hand ready to take you out because you break his commands. I'm sorry, there's been a massive misunderstanding. He's not a sleepy grandpa somewhere in the sky who created the heavens and the earth once upon a time, spun everything into existence, but then like Elvis left the building. I'm sorry, he is here with us. There's been a massive misunderstanding. Jesus isn't just a nice guy from back in the day who came all the way to earth to start a religion to belittle people. No, Jesus came to earth to be the way, the truth, and the life and to give us freedom unimaginable. I'm really sorry for some of the pictures and paradigms that some of you have tattooed in your imagination, but there's been a massive misunderstanding. Christianity isn't about rules or regulations, do's and do nots. No, Christianity is the adventure of following Jesus, even though it terrifies you, just knowing that wherever he leads will be good for you and bring glory to his name. I just wanna let you know seriously, I don't know what your background is. I don't know who told you what you believe right now. But for many of you, you need to hear this. I'm sorry. There's been a massive misunderstanding. And I can understand why on the surface, some people would say, what's the big deal, Dan? Who cares if there's been a misunderstanding? Isn't it just you know, a take on a religion and some people see things one way and other people see things another way. Can't we just all see things differently and, and, and be cool? Well, in many areas of life, I think we have to develop greater compassion and, 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 and breadth in, in the way people see life and the way that people approach life, but that cannot be applied to the simple gospel. We need to consistently and continually come back and ask this question. Are we hearing from God what he wants us to hear? Are we receiving the gospel in the 4K Ultra HD clarity like he intended? And I would actually contend to you that a lot of people are held back from a relationship with God because of these very misunderstandings. I see it all the time. I see so many people who are far away from God and they need a touch of his love, a touch of his power, a touch of his grace, a touch of his mercy, a touch of his purpose, a touch of his passion, but they will never come close enough to receive that touch because of that misunderstanding. They feel that because of the things that they've done, the lines that they crossed, the commandments they've broken, the direction they've headed for so long that there is no way in the world that God could possibly want anything to do with their life. This misunderstanding that Christianity is about rules and regulations, the do's and the do nots, holds so many people back from experiencing the transforming fire of God's love. 
So we have to deal with that misunderstanding. Flip the coin. There are so many people who have been raised around church their entire lives. They've sung the songs. They've heard the sermons. They've attended the conferences and the camps. Yet they still haven't experienced the love and the grace and the mercy of God because of this legalistic misunderstanding. For so many people, because they think that God is some guy in the sky holding a rule book in one hand and a scorecard in the other. There are so many people who take one step closer to God and then two steps back, never feeling like they're quite good enough to receive and to be transformed by His transformational love. And to you, I want to say we have to deal with this misunderstanding. Because these misunderstandings create burdens and barriers, barriers and burdens that hold so many people back from a genuine gospel transformation. I'm so sorry there's been a misunderstanding. So I asked the question, yo Jesus, how would you deal with it? You see what I see. You know what I've experienced in ministry. Your heart has been broken even more than my heart's been broken as I've seen people who need God so badly not pay Him any attention, not because you're not worthy of attention, but because of these misunderstandings. Yo, Jesus, what would you say? If I threw you a mic for like 15 minutes to address people who are experiencing the burden of religion or the barrier of condemnation, what would you say? And here's the good news. When you wanna know what Jesus would say, You don't have to dream or hypothesize. You just need to turn to the Word of God. Because the Word of God isn't an archaic piece of literature from back in the day. The Word of God is a living, breathing conversation that God wants to have with you every day. So when you dip into the Scriptures, you will hear the loving tone and accent of King Jesus. And I want to have a look at a story really, really quickly at a time where Jesus tries to deal with these misunderstandings and tries to wreck the burdens and the barriers, the barriers and burdens that hold people back from experiencing the truth of the gospel and the love that comes from God's heart. So if you've got your Bibles, would you go with me to the book of Luke chapter 15? Come on, the book of Luke. Everyone say Luke. Say Luke like an Australian. Luke. Say Luke like an American. Luke. Say Luke like a Chinaman. Look, awesome. I taught you languages. I was a little bit racist as well. Luke chapter 15. And those who have been around church for a while will recognize this passage as the time that Jesus talks about lost objects and how God finds them. And, and, and it's really cool um, you know, to, be, um, you know, uh, to be used, uh, for, for, the, for this text to be used from a, from a gospel perspective. But you've got to understand the context into which These stories were first told. These stories were told by Jesus because he was trying to clear up a misunderstanding. You'll see it here in verse one. The Bible says here in Luke chapter 15, verse one. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. They were the barriered. They were the ones who were told for the longest time they could have no part of God's kingdom because of the things that they have done. Their hands were stained. Their souls were scarred. Their minds have pondered so many things that were so unkingdom-like, they were forever marred. And so here they were, hanging out in a house party, 
and Jesus was hanging with them. If you ever think that Jesus would have been kind of weird at one of your house parties, nothing could be further from the truth. There ain't no weird party that Jesus went bust up into because there isn't anyone weird enough, come on, who Jesus has have enough grace to transform. Come on. So he's here hanging out. <laughs> Jesus there. There's, you know, the drinks are flowing. The food is being fried. The music is pumping. The Korean kids in the corner doing Gangnam style. It's an amazing time, man. So Jesus hanging out at this cool party. But then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Can you see what's happening here? So this party gets crashed with a bunch of people. These are the burdened ones. The burdened ones, the ones who have religious burdens. 10 commandments, 621 moral laws. They bust in on this party and they point to Jesus and they say, who is this guy? He even eats with the sinners If he really was a prophet, he would know what that woman does for a living. And he would be condemning her, not conversing with her. If he knew what that dude was about, all about money for Rome, he wouldn't be there giving him a high five. He'd be giving him a backhand. Who does this Jesus guy think he is? These Pharisees were the religiously burdened. Burdens and barriers, barriers and burdens holding people back from friendship with Jesus. So what does Jesus do? He responds. And he tells a very simple story, trying to do one thing, to deal with the misunderstanding. So he sits everyone down. You everyone sit down, grab a little bit of food, grab a little bit of drink. I'm gonna be here for a little while. Sit down and we're gonna clear up some misunderstandings. And he tells this simple story to try to illuminate truth. Then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Everyone's minds are blown as their hearts begin to beat faster. Anticipation is tingling in their skin as Jesus here clears his celestial throat and breaks down misunderstanding with eternal heavenly truth. And he lets us know once and for all, first and foremost, let's clear up this misunderstanding that even though religion is about you searching for God, Christianity and the gospel is all about God searching for you. Come on, can you get that deep into your spirit? That God's default setting is search. Why? Because he does not love us in response to our loveliness, but he loves us as an extension of his character. If you could cut God, he would bleed love. He can't help himself, if you will. And that's what love does. It compels you. It propels you to search. That's what he's saying here in this story. He's saying, if you were a shepherd and you lost one sheep, wouldn't you leave the 99 that weren't lost to go after the one? Now on the surface, I would say no. If I was a shepherd and I'd be working all day long doing what shepherds do when I came home and I'm smelling like sheep, I would grab myself a shower and grab myself a meal and sit down and be chilling for the night. But here, he's saying, no, 
The shepherd comes home, does a head count, 97, 98, 99, finds that one is missing and drops everything and goes after that one. Again, I wouldn't do that. If I had lost one sheep, I would consider that not a bad effort. You know what I'm saying? 99% is gonna get you a long way in life. You know what I'm saying? I've got an accounting background. I can like just write this off on tax. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's a loss and just put that in that column and then basically make it up next year. In fact, I would, even, I would see an opportunity here. I would actually see that I'm gonna gain out of this situation because I can claim that one lost sheep on insurance and I can trade out one dumb sheep for one smart sheep. I'm actually be ahead in the whole equation. And how did I know it was a dumb sheep? Well, you are one sheep out of a hundred. How do you get lost? You're hanging out with 99 of your brothers. You know what I'm saying? You're in, you're in an open field. It's not like you're wandering around Walmart after midnight. You know what I'm saying? How do you get lost? I would see an opportunity, not God in heaven. He does a head count and he knows where you are. Lost, broken, hurt, scared, afraid, judged, feeling weird, feeling insignificant, even hiding from him. Uh, he knows where you are. In his fridge, there's a milk carton on it and your face be up on it and it's a nice photo. He knows where you are. That's what won my heart when I was a 17-year-old kid. My entire life, I had a sense that there was something out there. Anything created has a creator behind it. Anything beautiful has an artist behind it. I could not believe that all of this was a cosmic accident. I just believed that whoever was out there didn't want to know me. But then I heard about the beauty and the power of the gospel and how God did not allow me to wait to be good enough or to be clean enough or to get right enough to make my way to him. But he stepped out of heaven in perfection and stepped into this broken earth to come and find me where I was at. And he did that because God's default setting is search. Because he is love. I'm so sorry there's been a misunderstanding that has so many people feeling like they need to do enough or achieve enough, climb high enough, stay clean long enough for them to experience the love of God. Come on, I'm sorry. I'm here to let you know he's the one who comes after you. Number two, the second misunderstanding, it's not about how much you can do, it's all about what he has done because he's the one who carries you home. He's the one who carries you home. Can you see that in the story? The good shepherd drops everything, goes after the one, finds the one. The Bible says, picks the sheep up, puts it on his shoulders and carries it all the way home. I wouldn't do that. If I came home from a long day of work, did a head count, 97, 98, 99, found that one sheep was missing again, 99% is not a bad effort. But if I did go out to come find you, when I eventually found you, I wouldn't pick you up and carry you home. I would kick you in the stomach and ride you all the way home, make me come out to find you. But Jesus says, no, 
The good shepherd knows that you don't have the strength or the ability, the power or the capacity to get home. But here, God and his goodness, come on, this is the central tenet of the gospel. He's the one who carries you home. Come on, smile. This is really good news because it's not your work. Come on, it's his work. It's not your effort. Come on, it's his effort. It's not your cross carried. It was his cross carried. It's not your blood spilled. It was his blood spilled. It was not your death given. It was his death given. It was not your battle won. It was his battle won that brings you all the way home. I'm sorry, there's been a massive misunderstanding. Why do you think you can somehow cancel out all of your bad with good acts? I don't know about you, but for me, it's always one step forward and three steps back. We have to break that equation. It's His once and for all good work that saves us, wins us, transforms us, and carries us all the way home. God's searching for you and He wants to carry you all the way home. And the third and the last misunderstanding we gotta clear up is nothing means as much to God as your return. You gotta get that. Nothing in this universe means as much to God as your return. That's there in the story. Jesus says, all right, so I'm like a good shepherd. Come home, do a head count, find that one sheep is missing, leave the 99, go after one because my default setting is search. When I find you, I don't kick you, I don't carry all the, I don't make you carry me, I carry you all the way home. And when I get home, I get so excited, I call my friends and my neighbors over and say, come and celebrate with me. My sheep was lost, but now it's found. I tell you the truth, there is more celebration in heaven over one lost person coming home than over 99 people gathered on a Sunday morning lifting up their voice to Him. Now He loves the 99 raising their voices, but there's something special about that one return. I wouldn't do that. If I came home from a long day of work, found that one was missing, again, 99% is not a bad effort. But if I did go out to find you, I wouldn't carry you home. I would kick you in the stomach and I would ride you all the way home. And when I got home, I wouldn't throw a party for you. No, I would kill you and cook you and eat you in front of all the other sheep to show them what happens if you ever wander off. But God ain't like that. So excited. It's a weird picture. He's like, comes home and so pumped that someone made in his image, called by his name, bearing an eternal soul, has come back into eternal relationship with him. He does this. He knocks on the door and his neighbors again, seriously, come over to my house. Why? I'm having a sheep party. It's going to be amazing. A what party? A sheep party. Just got to check it out. So you come over because you're like kind of intrigued what's going on. Step into the room and the music is pumping, the drinks are flowing, the food is being fried, the Korean kids are back dancing again. It's amazing. And in the corner, there's the guest of honor. It's a little sheep with a party hat on his head and a blower in his mouth. A strange picture, but a picture that God wanted you to have indeed as he clears up a few misunderstandings that nothing means as much to him as your return. There is greater celebration in heaven. And you guys aren't pumped up enough about that. And I think the reason why we don't get excited about the biggest party in heaven being reserved for the lost return is because we all get the wrong, we've all got the wrong picture of heaven. 
Because you think that heaven is like a place full of clouds and chubby baby angels flying around with harps. That is not heaven. That is hell. Could you imagine forever trying to just sit on a cloud with chubby baby angels with grown-up man faces flying up to you with a harp? Horrifying. No, heaven is perfect. Heaven has streets paved with gold. In heaven, there's a crystal lake full of bass, big mouth bass that jump into your boat. Heaven has no tears. Heaven has no pain. Heaven has no separation between you and the glory of God. Heaven is loud. Do you know heaven is loud? Because the Bible says that there are thousands times ten thousands of angels all singing in unison. And you've got to understand that angels aren't sheepish in their voice. Angels, by definition, are messengers. They boom heaven. So imagine millions of angels booming all at the same time. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. It's a loud place. But even that noise gets drowned out every time one lost person comes home. There is greater celebration. So let's just clear up that misunderstanding. Religion is about your search for Him. Jesus comes to let you know the gospel declares He's searching for you. Come on, smile behind that mask of yours. That's good news, amen? Hey, it's not about how much you've done. It's all about how much He did. And when you trust in that, It's amazing how it transforms everything you do going forward. And don't get it twisted. God's heart is worn by the gathering of the people on a Sunday morning, lifting praises to Him. But all of this is but a launching pad for His kingdom work. Come on, to see one lost person come home. As we wrap up our time together in our last one minute and 57 seconds, I would love to give an opportunity to someone here in this room right now who's saying, Dan, I walked into this space separated from God because of these burdens or these barriers, these barriers or these burdens. And I want to give you an opportunity to step into a surprise party that is going to cause the loudest noise in heaven as you come home. Is that cool? So with every eye closed, I do that to give you a sense of privacy. If that's you here this morning and you're saying, you know what, Dan, I feel separated from God and I know it's been a misunderstanding that has caused it. But this morning, I want to receive His love and His life, His grace and His mercy. I want to leave these burdens and these barriers behind. I want to step into friendship with Jesus. When I count to three, would you lift your hand where you are? And I want to pray a simple prayer with you, then we're done. So if you're saying here, I've been separated from God because of these burdens and these barriers, these barriers and these burdens. But this morning, I take hold of the good news. If that's you, when I count to three, lift your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Just lift your hand where you are. 
I see your hand. 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 Just pray this out loud after me. Let's do it. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for coming so far to grab me. I give you my life. Help me by your Spirit. Live now for your glory. Amen. Can you put your hands together for all the people who lifted theirs?